Welcome back to Misdiagnosed. Happy New Year, or as I like to say, happy now here. Last week and last year, we wrapped up the series on viruses. And before that, we did a series on heavy metals. And we're beginning a series about emotions and how emotions affect the brain. I'm really excited about this chapter because I'm a person who, a couple of years ago, definitely during my marriage of eight years, from 2011 to 2019, I not emotional person. Like I just didn't get emotional about things, but I did get emotional about things. I just didn't show my emotions. I was conditioned to not show my emotions. And that had so much to do with when I started smoking weed in late 2018. Well, it was late 2017, more intense in 2018 and ultimately created symptoms of psychosis and mania that caused, I say caused my ex-husband to leave me, but he was already dating someone else. So like there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that went into that um because I was happy you know I was I guess what some would call manic but the thing is when all the doctors diagnosed me with bipolar none of them said oh we can exacerbate that you know but yeah all of that marijuana helped me to express my emotions very freely like I was just with it like there was a, a feeling that came up I expressed it so when my ex-husband told me that he wanted a divorce I started crying freely and it wasn't because I was sad it was because I was relieved and I told him so I wasn't holding anything back and when I wanted to stay in the hotel room and work on a project rather than go on a, an excursion with him that I knew I wouldn't really be present for because my mind wanted to be on my work, which was rare at that point. Like I was having a hard time really focusing on work because I think I was burnt out and the marijuana helped me power through and all the emotions came out. And over those years following all those diagnoses and the four hospitalizations I had, I slowly started realizing just how emotional I was and how injurious it was to hold those emotions back and to deny them and the period of depression. I experienced was certainly a feeling of powerlessness. You know, somebody else was running my business. I felt like I couldn't come out and talk about the things that I wanted to talk about because it would damage the business. Like everything was was hinged on the business. But then I sold the business and I didn't have to answer to anyone anymore. And that was great. Nobody owned me, so to speak. And it felt good. It felt good to be able to start saying the things that I wanted to say and doing the things I wanted to do because nobody could tell me otherwise. No, I'm not smoking pot anymore. In fact, all of my pot is gone. I had some non-prescription stuff like CBD, Delta 8, things like that, THCO, synthetic stuff, which I suspected was quite toxic in some ways. And so I just ditched it all. I did that on Tuesday of this week. I'm recording on a Thursday. Episode's going to come out tomorrow. I threw it all away finally. And it just felt like the best thing to do. I had been on the fence about it for a while and I was like, it's time. So I did it and I feel really good about it. So what I'm doing now in the world, my TikTok channel blew up. None of that stuff has been perpetuated in a sense that it was before, you know, where I would have gotten in trouble for it. <laughs> I wasn't smoking pot. I wasn't screaming, yelling, blaming about my ex-husband, anything like that. Telling all of his deep, dark secrets and my deep, dark secrets. I wasn't doing anything that would be potentially damaging. I'm just being me and I'm sharing my truth with the world. It is in some ways controversial since there's a lot of people out there who worship at the altar of psychiatry 
psychiatry still and believe that all these disorders have been discovered as if they're diseases attacking our body when in fact they are related to a lot of organic things like emotions, viruses, heavy metals in our brain that are causing the symptoms. They're not related to our genetics, although it can appear that way since our lifestyles are often genetic and metals get passed on through the genetic line, through contaminated sperm and eggs and what our parents were into. You know, like I'm pretty sure I got passed on several different herpes viruses from my mom and that's just the way things work. You know, that's not me blaming my mom. That's just saying like this, how things are. Everything gets passed on. We don't just come out of thin air, you know, when we're conceived and we grow in the womb. Although some of the things I've been seeing lately, apparently you can grow babies in labs now and like there's a whole company that's centered around doing that. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, what I'm doing now, my TikTok has blown up. So if you're listening because you found me on TikTok, welcome. I did not expect that, but I'm happy you're here. I'm, I'm really excited to see things blossoming over there. I, I was on the fence for a long time about just putting videos out there and I took yesterday off completely. Like I had posted maybe three videos a day before and I was just on on fire the week before that and I was just like I need some time off so I can recalibrate because my old habits of being a workaholic and attached to my phone and all that stuff like I could still feel those habits and those neural pathways like refiring and I was like nope I don't want to put all this ahead of my own well-being and so I took yesterday off you know I still did some work on the computer and still took care of some things work-wise but my body was just telling me like chill the f out and I and I ate I got this meal plan. I'm not going to name it necessarily just because I don't want to you know, get into a bait about which meal plans are better, but the food, it's, it's always marketed as healthy, right? But then you get it and it's just like, nope, I don't want to eat Impossible Burger. I don't eat GMO soy. I don't want to eat corn, which you know is GMO. And so even though the meals are gluten-free, I'm still getting those ingredients in the meals and I think I can feel it. You know, I might just be paranoid, but yesterday I had slept great, but I woke up and my eyes were just like sand still. I just felt exhausted and I felt the brain fog and the only only thing that I can trace it to is having eaten those meals. So we're just letting that pass through at this point and now I'm up recording. I feel like it. So yeah, I was one of those people that would say that they never got emotional, you know, and Anthony starts out chapter five, your emotional brain. We're on page 70. Woo, we're almost in the triple digits here. <laughs> we will be in about three three episodes, making some good progress here. He said one of four things could be happening if somebody like me were to say, I never get emotional. One is they don't realize what they're saying. Two, they're not telling the truth. Three, they handle their emotional state by convincing themselves that they never become emotional. And I'm raising my hand high in the air. I was one of those people, but I also didn't realize what I was saying. Didn't know I was lying to myself. And then the fourth thing is that they spend time around people who express their emotions in a much more pronounced way. So in comparison, they think they don't get emotional. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. Although my ex-husband's mother was very emotional and was always, you know, out there. And so in comparison, I really just felt like quite a little mouse. But comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> yeah, so when we experience that depersonalization too, and that makes us feel numb and we don't feel anything, I'm raising my hand for that one too, for the years that I spent on the couch and self-loathing and that numbness and dead feeling. 
people around me would probably call that feeling or that state, I guess, an actual expression of an emotional state. You know, I was really checked out and I was very checked out in my business too. Thank the good Lord that I had uh, such a wonderful CEO running the show, um, even though I did feel like my hands were tied and I couldn't really do anything that I wanted to do. I also didn't feel like doing anything. So it was like a double-edged sword in a way. Like I had the freedom to do what I wanted, so to speak, but I was under the impression that if I were to do what I wanted that it would hurt the business so I just checked out you know I just felt like okay we gotta wait till this thing is sold and then I can relax you know but there's other things in play like there was a very toxic property manager in my life and I don't think I've gone into too much detail about that on the show but I mean there was a lot of manipulation going on that I wasn't even aware of at the time long story short this toxic property manager was keeping me stuck by convincing me that he needed to do things for me and it was very much an enabling like he he would have been homeless without me, but he had me believing that the opposite was true, that if it weren't for him, that I would be homeless. And that, that's not true at all. Like he was still, he ended up dying um, after getting COVID, but he had all kinds of health problems that precipitated the death a lot faster. And when he was in the hospital, they put him on all of the things that are rumored to have been the problem in the first place and didn't give him any vitamins, didn't know about his pre-existing conditions because he had gone to the ER. Like the hospital killed him in, in effect, but it ended up being a great blessing. You know, it was, it was very scary because he was controlling so much of my life. And when he died, I was like, oh my God, like this is the worst thing that could have ever happened. But of course, when that, when that happened in our lives, what tends to really be happening is that like the universe is shifting things in a big way because the universe knew that that was what I wanted not for him to die of course but for me to be free of him and I didn't believe that that would ever be the case I was like this guy is going to be in my life forever basically it was like being married again but I didn't hate my ex-husband I just couldn't imagine my life without him not in a way because I was like I love him so much I can't imagine my life without him but like I don't like I felt trapped you know and I felt trapped with this guy too so and it was to be honest heading that way with my roommate too you know my my roommate wanted to stay here long term and I didn't want that but I was allowing it to happen and allowing that enmeshment to happen and with business ideas and whatnot and I was headed in that direction again and that's what caused me to say hey this is not this is not working long term like I need to be on my own here and yeah so truth of the matter is though for emotions it's a natural state of being for everyone everybody has emotions but many of us are trying to keep them in we don't want to be so emotional and we worry that our emotions are weakness we worry that our emotions reactions will get out of control and that will melt down in front of other people anybody <laughs> anybody are you raising your hand or we worry that if we say one thing wrong or express our viewpoint and this is what I worried about on TikTok from like before I started posting that the rest of the world will emotionally react to us the world has actually gotten very emotional I don't know if you've noticed I really don't know. Um, <laughs> I certainly have noticed. Everyone's under a lot of pressure from many directions and our emotions are getting invaded and manipulated like never before from things that we're going to be going over in this series on the podcast. Yeah, these things are clouding and disrupting and unsteadying, toying with what our emotions are meant to be communicating. So many of us are understood. Our actions, words, and intentions, our emotional states, they're misunderstood by people around us who know us, maybe barely know us or don't know us at all. And I can only think of my, my family, you know, they don't understand me at all. You know, um, it's really hard for me to communicate with them. I found myself intentionally distancing myself from members 
with my family just to maintain my sanity because when I'm around them, I can feel that they think something is wrong or they're waiting for the other shoe to drop and, you know, wonder if I'm on some kind of drug or medication and, you know, think that I'm just trying to bullshit my way out of bipolar disorder when bipolar disorder is the bullshit to begin with. Because emotions are what get people diagnosed with bipolar disorder to begin with. It's just, I mean, you're overly emotional or you have emotional outbursts or whatever. That can be all that is necessary if you're crying and frantic and maybe speaking quickly in front of the wrong doctor at the wrong time when you're hospitalized against your will, which is scary, scary as hell to begin with. And they slap on a diagnosis for bipolar disorder And because you've been taken into the hospital against your will, that's in the state's records. You are labeled with that mental illness for life. And most people don't realize that. There's like a stigma attached to you forever. Like if I wanted to buy a gun, I could not buy a gun because I have this mental illness. You know, I couldn't get health, not health insurance. I could get health insurance just fine, but I couldn't get life insurance because of the mental illness that I had written about on my application. You know, they they say they want you to be honest, but like they ask you, have you been diagnosed? Not if it's actually true true, right? It's it's taken to be truth that a diagnosis is real, but in my case, none of them were real because I'm sitting here today without those symptoms, without any medications that they said I needed and that, w- that I would need for life, and I'm doing things that I wasn't even doing before. Yeah, you know, these episodes that we're doing, they're not about hitting at people's weak spots or tearing people down just to rebuild them up. We're not going to rip ourselves down and tear, tear us or ourselves apart to become like others want to see us or to turn ourselves into people that other people want us to be, right? Because there's a lot of good, critical, important qualities and strengths that we have emotionally that we don't necessarily know their value. And so if we tear ourselves down and try to make ourselves into what other people or our doctors want us to be, all that stuff gets just thrown by the wayside and undervalued, devalued, dismissed, deleted. And I think that that's what was happening to me with all these diagnoses and all these authoritative figures and family members thinking that there's something wrong with me and I was just like but everything was fine before like there's other things at play here and nobody was looking for them so I was like fuck this like I'm gonna do it myself once I got health insurance I was like let's go to town which Anthony William would say all those blood tests were probably deleterious to my health and I agree you know taking all that blood all the time but eventually I got to the bottom of it and now I don't have to do all those tests yeah so we're gonna learn in the episodes of the series why we get emotional, what's happening inside of us when those emotions are happening, because knowing that is going to be able to protect us from damage that can be caused by our emotions. Because you think when you hear the words emotional damage, you're like, oh, that's theoretical. That's just like, I'm hurt. You know, my feelings are hurt. And that's so far from the truth. And I feel like there's certain members of my family that are just like, oh, bullshit. When you start talking about being emotionally damaged and the damage that happens in your brain and Oftentimes, that's the voice in my head that I hear when I'm talking about certain things like this. There's like just people in my life that are just think what I'm doing is bullshit. (laughs) And you can just tell, you know, what else are you blaming your bipolar disorder on? You know, they're so stuck to this belief in bipolar disorder that to them, I come off as I'm just finding excuses. I'm just trying to erase it by coming up with other reasons. Well, I'm sitting here today recording episode 19 of my podcast, which I didn't think I'd get this far. And I'm 70 pages into a book with you, 71 pages into a book with you that is explaining everything that I've known to be true in a way that you can't argue with. I mean, I'm sure there's doctors out there like this 
isn't science. And I'm like, neither is the shit you're prescribing. <laughs> like, you know, that's the funny part is that there's psychiatrists out there and doctors that would dismiss the things that are in this book because they haven't been quote unquote scientifically proven. But that's because all the money is going to drug company funded studies. Drug companies are funding the studies to prove that the disorders exist. You know, all the money is going to prove that the disease exists, not to find the answers because there's no money in answers. Money goes away when there's answers. More people will stop going to their doctors and funding their operations and just putting money into their pockets by buying the drugs and going to their sessions, you know, because they have learned to empower themselves. So that's what this podcast is about. We're empowering ourselves to take responsibility for the quality of the food we put in our bodies, the quality of the life our brain has, learning what affects our brain and doing something about it because we can, right? We don't need our doctor's permission. We don't need our family's permission to do something about what's going on and what's going into our brains. Yeah. So we're emotional creatures trying to change people by telling them about their egos or pointing out shortcomings, weaknesses emotionally and trying to convince them that their thoughts are what's manifesting their illness. They are not answers to mental health. They're not answers to spiritual health, emotional health, or physical health. Instead, supporting people's emotional states, their soul states or spirit, strengthening someone's whole person while providing tools for recovering emotionally is so much different from on a subliminal level trying to teach them that they're bad or that their faults make them a bad person or that they have a personality disorder or something needs to be improved upon because they're not good enough. And the truth is that we all become emotional and it happens on a minute by minute basis. Some of us are more intense and there are reasons that publicly known medical research and science don't have a handle on. Some people deal with more pronounced emotional responses and express them in a more pronounced manner. The truth of the matter is everyone is unique. Every soul on this planet is unique and we all have our own, what Anthony calls, emotional wellspring. We all have different emotional injuries and differences in how we process what we experience, what we see, feel, hear. And it can definitely help to go to counseling therapy, right? It can help us through our wounds and help them help us process them. It's not always the right fit and it can't help in every way though because there's differences among us all. And sometimes when you're seeing seeking support from a psychologist, a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, therapist, a spiritual advisor, a life coach, counselor. Sometimes you have to switch out one for the other because a psychiatrist, like in my case, ain't doing shit. <laughs> Excuse my French. And so, you know, maybe a spiritual advisor would be a better fit to figure out what's going on at the core. Or a life coach. I'm in coaching school now and I can definitely see from what I've learned so far in the coaching that I've done as I'm just beginning on a more official track as a coach. I've been doing coaching for years, but going to school for it is a game changer. It's a very powerful tool to help people move forward and to identify limiting beliefs that are holding people back. You know, people think they just need to go to a psychiatrist when they're stuck, when it's actually (laughs) their own beliefs that are keeping them stuck. So it's really interesting. Yeah. So emotional experiences change moment to moment. And some of our emotions are subtle, gentle, whereas others can be on the total opposite end of the spectrum, very extreme. And we handle our emotions in so many different ways. You know, we might have reactions to just run around, scream, throw things, break down and cry, blame someone, blame ourselves, distance ourselves from others, have to be around other people. We might shut out everything or my personal favorite, act like nothing's wrong. (laughs) 
<laughs> so we're not going to be talking about how to fix emotional problems by being a better person or how to fix the way we handle, deal with, or process emotions. Because the truth is that no matter how cool or calm we are, something could happen that rocks us. Just totally just flips our lid, you know? Because if we say we need to fix who we are, and that's coming from a place of judgment, we can all agree judgment is not going to fix anything. And there's a lot of people who want to blame us for being emotional. I mean, I grew up in an environment that emotions were bad. You know, you got in trouble if you were crying. You were yelled at to stop crying. People want to manage or control your emotional responses, whether that's through drugs, even psychoactive plant medicine, as that's being marketed these days, catchy techniques, trendy words about neuroscience or even spiritual things. And in terms of uh, neuroscience, there is, there's a perception that it's advanced exponentially in the last 30 or 40 years. And something interesting that I've seen with psychiatry in particular, they've been changing. I think I've mentioned this in season one. There's an article I found on scientificamerican.com by a psychiatrist named Nathaniel Morris, who said that psychiatry departments have been changing their names to include scientific terms like neuroscience and behavioral health. It's because these language shifts help psychiatry sound more reputable. Yeah, neuroscience itself hasn't advanced exponentially in the last 30 to 40 years. That is an illusion. It's all still based on theory. When you hear supposedly advanced claims, what you're hearing is that we're theorizing that this is what happens with brain patterns. And then calling that claim neuroscience, it makes people feel like there's a secret they don't know about yet. It makes us think, whoa, they've mastered something that I'm not smart enough to understand yet. And those are Anthony's words. And neuroscience is fun, you know, it's, it's not what gets people out of bed when they're having lots of problems and they've been tried, trying everything and they've been everywhere with every different provider, even with the most advanced approaches to emotional and mental health, including neurologists and alternative neuroscience modalities. What's really happening in the brain, the true workings of the brain with regard to chronic illness and chronic emotional struggles, including bipolar disorder, anxiety, PTSD, depression, those go undiscovered. Everything that's really happening in the brain goes overlooked because brain scan technology is not advanced enough to pick up on it. I'll say that again. Brain scan technology is not advanced enough to really pick up on what's going on in the brain with these chronic illness and chronic emotional things that are happening with us, like bipolar disorder, anxiety, depression, PTSD. You can get an MRI, which I've gotten to. You can get a CT scan that gives you the green light and doesn't show any problems in your brain. And that sends you off on a search for all kinds of modalities to find relief. So you start thinking that the problem must be in your wiring, your mind, your genes, and you have to find a way to fix your thoughts to get better. And there's a lot of truth to understanding how you think and, and fixing that. But if there's something in your brain that's causing those thoughts to be more prominent to begin with, then all of the modalities to fix your thoughts are just going to go be for naught. You have to start with the brain. Yeah. So Anthony says that the true goal of any brain science, which should be the understanding of what needs to be done to protect your brain, is missed. Because neuroscience never even approaches the goal line. The goal is to not protect the brain. The goal is to do something about the symptoms. And that sucks. Yeah, and there's been a... This is probably my favorite part of this episode. The history of how medical research and science have been approaching mental health in the past and the legacy they've left behind. I mean, chronic illness and chronic, we'll call mental illness, right? It's actually emotional struggles have long confounded medical research and science for a long time. This is not new, right? And all these so-called advances, all these new drugs, like it's smoke and mirrors. People are still suffering even more so than they were before, but we're still being told that there's so much advances 
practices that have happened in the industry. And it's just not true. And there's been a lot of drastic measures. So lobotomies, for example, to try to cure young women's anxiety. The goal of the technique was to surgically slice through nerve connections and sometimes even remove brain material from the prefrontal cortex and other frontal lobe tissue that was theorized. All this was based on a theory, lobotomies. Theory was that those areas were processing and harboring emotions. After the surgical procedure, the patient wasn't meant to overreact anymore. That was the intent with any kind of high anxiety, emotional outburst, neurosis, or psychosis. And the lobotomy was also meant to stop a patient from being up and down, which is what we call bipolar disorder now. Yeah, it's just to stop people from being all over the map on an emotional level. And there was young women in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and 70s were eligible for the procedure if they acted out of the ordinary. Most of them were forced into procedure. Many thousands of young women are on record, and many more of them are off the record. They had small portions of their brain removed or surgically altered to basically quiet them down. It was a very common practice. And this was so-called advanced medical research and science. And just one prime example, it's like bloodletting of yesteryear, right? It's like, oh, this like one doctor convinced all these other doctors that this is what needed to happen to fix this certain problem. And it was literally just, let's go destroy the brain. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, but it was really happening. And this was in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, not long ago. It's just one prime example of an epic disaster that the medical industry and medical universities propagated. And it wasn't 500 years ago. This was in the lifetime of, of, of you guys listening to this in, in many cases. And the process is actually still happening today behind the scenes in classified medical research and science. And even in publicly known medical research and science, it's still happening today behind closed doors in some countries. And if your behavior today is deemed out of control, family members can have you admitted to a clinic. <laughs> they call it a clinic, but it's like, you know, they call the cops and they say something's happening. If there's two people that agree, then they can literally take you and put you in a facility. And I've been in four of those. You're forced to be on heavy medications. I was forced to be on, on medication, antipsychotic medication. And there's strict rules about not removing those medications. Like they make you take them. And if you don't take them, then you're non-compliant and that they're going to keep you there until you do take them. Yeah. So whether or not the patient actually needs them or not, right? I just needed to, you know, take some melatonin and go to sleep and then I could go home probably the next day. But no, I had to stay in there for six days in the last one. That was in July of 2020. It's been a long time and I have no intention of ever going back to any of those facilities. And that's another reason why I distance myself from my family members. Not that I think that they're going to do it, right? But I just don't want to open up the opportunity. So you may be at a point in your life where you're feeling emotionally sound, thinking that you're under control. And then life doesn't always work that way, though, because events can come where you have to put on the brakes and you're under fire and there's something unexpected that happens. And it could be stress, you know, from daily life. It could be only once every 10 years. But the most important part when anything like this happens is going to be protecting your brain so that when it comes up against the worst or even not so bad stuff that it always gets what it needs because that's what we need right now. We need answers to what actually causes brain problems, neurological problems, chronic pain problems, emotional problems, mental health problems. And we need answers about how to protect the brain. Protecting our brain is the most important thing. There's a lot of emotional tools and techniques out there that are promoted to help us get our emotions under control. But if our brain is under fire and our brain doesn't have what it needs, none of that stuff is going to work. We can do all the breath work, yoga, meditation, affirmations, positive thinking that we want, but none of that's going to tell us why we're still in pain, having struggles with our brain, 
none of that's going to help us. So you might be listening to this and thinking, well, I'm not sick and I'm not struggling. And if you have been lucky enough to not have mental, emotional, or physical symptoms interrupt your quality of life, or if they're so normal to you, right? Because symptoms are so normal. People are used to feeling tired all the time. They're used to having pain. They're used to, and they think that's normal, so they don't think that they're having any symptoms. It may seem like those emotional techniques like, oh, I just need to do some yoga, or I just need to you know meditate or think more positively or say my affirmations it might seem like those are all we might need if you're not having any symptoms that you notice right but I got to tell you I've dealt with a lot of emotional problems in my day and I didn't know that it had anything to do with the health of my brain and it wasn't until I really started suffering that I truly understood that there aren't answers out there that the yoga, the breath work, all these alternative therapies and meditation are keeping me busy. In some cases, helping me manage and keeping me strong through my reactions, emotions, things like that. But it wasn't getting to the core. Why couldn't I get off the couch? <laughs> you know, yoga is simple enough to do, but if I didn't have the strength to like pick up the remote and turn on the TV to put on a yoga video, what was yoga gonna do? Like, if I didn't feel any better when the yoga was done, that was not gonna motivate me to continue doing the yoga. There was something else happening. Yeah, so the real reasons why we get sick or struggle with emotional, mental health in the first place and the real answers about how to heal are very different from all the techniques and belief systems of the past and of the present, as you might suspect. It can seem like certain techniques and belief systems are new and could possibly be the answers we've been waiting for, but the reality is that the techniques and belief systems of the present are just repackaged techniques and belief systems of the past and not much has changed at all. But what has changed is how it's all repackaged with social media now. A younger generation that hasn't been sick yet <laughs> uses their appearance and swagger and glossy lifestyle and seeming authenticity to showcase the techniques of manifestation, meditations, morning routines, journaling, positive thinking, breath work. And I still roll my eyes at most of that, you know, <laughs> because I know the truth that brain health is number one. And so if you're following people online, whether it's on TikTok or somewhere else or Instagram, and they're like super, super healthy and they haven't gone through any mental health issues or any chronic illness issues yet and they're eating their keto diet and their liver isn't clogged up yet. They're telling you that this is the answer to like total mental health and that you don't need doctors, don't need this, don't need, don't need that, that it's all in your head and you're manifesting your illness. It's bullshit. <laughs> it's absolute bullshit. It completely takes out the physical aspect of your brain being healthy enough, having what it needs to function properly. Because if we don't have what we need in our brains, then we're not going to think properly. We're not going to perceive the way we would otherwise. And we've learned that so far in this season, that the presence of heavy metals can affect how our neurons fire between each other. And that's literally how we think. So these thoughts that we might be having are just evidence of something wrong with our brain. It's not always thought patterns that need to be corrected, although it can be for sure. Now, this doesn't mean that the therapies and techniques for thought-minded health, spiritual health, we just throw them out the window. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try them and that they won't help, especially if we like them because a lot of them are helpful and there's a lot of benefit to them. But when we're suffering, we need the work of how to heal, not the busy work, especially when it comes to the brain. We have to have a, this knowledge and tools to bring our brains back to health. And then how do we keep ourselves healthy? Yeah, once we've applied those tools, that's when partaking in some kind of program or technique that's 
meaningful in terms of rewiring our thoughts or doing manifestation techniques, morning routines, all that journaling stuff. That's when that stuff really starts to be helpful is when the brain is healthy. So like there's so much that gets forgotten and those tools can be really hard to apply. I mean, mean, speaking from experience here, like manifestation and meditation, impossible when you're not feeling good. We can't take action with breath work when our nerves are inflamed and we're living with high anxiety, panic attacks, tightness in the chest. Sometimes I get tightness in my throat, like when I'm not eating well and I'm like overworking and under relaxing, I'll start feeling like my throat tighten up and that's anxiety in my body. Yeah. And how are you going to work out when your body is inflamed and accomplish any type of thought building or thought following when you're fatigued and suffering from a ton of brain fog? We can't focus on positive thoughts when depression is taking over. So I'm not a big fan of people who are saying that depression is just a state of mind. It's not like it can be caused by your brain really needing a lot of help. So when there's somebody out there saying that your thoughts and our emotions are what's creating our physical symptoms, it's actually the other way around. There's physical reasons for our mental and emotional suffering. And if we address those needs of our brains and our nervous systems, we will find relief on all levels. It starts at the bottom. The bottom, the very base of our suffering is the health of our brain because our brain is like the motherboard and our bodies are the receivers and we're able to receive energy and push out energy and do all these things on a spiritual and emotional level when our receiver is working properly. Yeah, so I think that's a good place to start for the conversation on your emotional brain. Next week, we're going to start building on previous conversations and talking about what's actually happening in the brain when we experience intense emotions. I think that'll be really good. I think this episode is a great place to begin the conversation because I know there's a lot of people out there who follow really inspiring people on TikTok and they think they have all the answers to solving your anxiety and it's all about just taking a deep breath and that can help for sure but if the reason that your anxiety is happening for example with me is because your nervous system was inflamed and your gut is not healthy and you're feeling nauseous every morning just thinking about food and you can't keep food down like that's not (laughs) <laughs> that's not anything your thoughts are going to help with at all. Like it, it was, it can get really bad. And to give you just a little hint on what happens in the brain when we start feeling emotions that has to do with diagnoses of bipolar disorder, for example, is that the brain heats up. If you don't have what you need to cool it back down again, that's when more problems start happening and end up in the hospital like me. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for this episode, beginning the conversation on your emotional brain. We're going through Medical Medium's Brain Saver book. Thanks to Anthony William for contributing your knowledge to this conversation. I wouldn't be where I am today without the information I learned from Anthony. And I'm so grateful for his books. So thanks for being here. Thanks for following along with me. We're just getting started on the conversation and I'm excited to continue with you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Misdiagnosed. If this show has helped you in any way, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Sharing your experience will help others who are lost in the darkness find their own way out of the science of lies. Please note that while I may go in-depth into medical topics and have acquired substantial medical knowledge, I am not a medical doctor. I'm a researcher. I'm a messenger of hope for other survivors of industrialized psychiatry. Because of how toxic psychiatric drugs are, it can be extremely dangerous, even life-threatening, to suddenly stop taking certain drugs. This is especially true for antidepressants, antipsychotics, and benzodiazepines. The longer you've taken the drug, the more dangerous withdrawal can be. 
you want to heal your brain and soul naturally, the way it was designed to do, please seek the help of a compassionate and patient-centered physician to start the process of withdrawing from them as safely as possible. It will take time for your brain to reacclimate to life without the drugs, and there are doctors out there who will support you in your quest to save your brain. Never give up. You can heal.